Welcome to It's About Him Ministries with Denise Robinson. It is my desire that you would be encouraged and inspired by this broadcast and that you would trust Jesus no matter what and believe him for the impossible. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him, Jesus. This word that you've given me today, Lord, I pray that it will fall on ears that will hear and hearts that will be open to receive. And Lord, I decrease that you increase and that you get all the glory in your holy son, Jesus name. Praise God. Well, I'm going to talk about something that's not really traditionally talked about in the church, but it's very important. The name of my topic is Money Matters to God. Money Matters to God. And you're probably thinking, okay, I don't know if the church should be talking about money. You know, some people think that money shouldn't be talked about, um, that it's private, that it's nobody's business what I do with my money. Um, But I'm just saying, don't tune me out. Because I believe before the end of the service that you'll have a new revelation about money, what money is. Praise God. And so I just want you to keep the open mind because I truly believe if you get this revelation, God would do wonders in your finances. Praise God. So I'm going to be talking about what is money, what it's not. I'm going to mention about, you know, what the Bible says about it. Um, and then how it plays a huge role in our lives and how it has a kingdom mission. And in doing that, I'm going to be talking about tithes and offering. I'm going to be talking about the wealth transfer or generational wealth. And then finally, I'm going to conclude with kingdom business or advancement, giving it all away so that you can get it all back. And um, and talking about that, I don't know how many of you are familiar with um, David Green. He's the CEO of Hobby Lobby. Well, he just um, put out a book. I encourage you all to read it. It's giving it all away and getting it all back again. And um, I read this book in like three settings. I mean, it's easy read. And um, and he's a Christian, a billionaire. His business is worth four billion dollars. And um, so I'm going to be, in addition to talking about the Holy Bible, God's word, I'm going to also be talking about David. So when I say David, I'm not talking about David in the Bible. I'm talking about David Green. Okay. But anyway, I just want you to kind of listen and uh, again, have your hearts open. Now, as we know, money is a current medium of exchange in the form of coins and bills. We use it every day, whether it's for good and services. Uh, We pay people for their work. Um, It's a legal tender for repayment of debt, a standard of value. It's a unit of accounting measure. And so that's some of the things what money is. And, you know, um, money is not wicked, sinful, evil, or bad. And I want us to look at 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Because sometimes people, you hear people say, all money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. So I want you to look at 1 Timothy 6 and 10. 
And what does that first part says? Read it out loud. Whoever has it, do you have it first of all? It says, anybody have it? For the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's the love of money that is evil, not money within itself. So if you're coveting money and you're, um, you know, money is your God, then it's evil because that means you'll steal, kill, cheat, you'll do whatever it is to get it. And that's out of the will of God. Okay. And I want to let you know that money is mentioned a lot in the Bible. And according to Google, the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer and less than 500 verses of faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money. And when we look at this, you probably wonder, what? But in fact, 15% of what Jesus said in, in his three years of ministry with his disciples and to the people in the towns and the community where he went, he talked about over 15% of money and possessions, which was more than the teachings of heaven and hell combined. So money is important. So money matters to God. So we have to find out why does money matter to God? Well, first of all, money is a big part of our lives. Many of us, we work extremely long hours for it to earn this money. We have allowed our occupation to define who we are as we labor for this money. We sweat, we toll. And, and I want you to think about it right now. Work is not a curse. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, God ordained work. Work was a good thing. And so when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he had to tend to it and keep it. And that was what he was supposed to do. But sin, when we um, allow sin to come in and destroy that, and we make that our God, then all of a sudden it's an imbalance. And then it's wrong, okay? So, but work within itself is not a bad thing. So it's a reason why we work. Work builds character. Works let you know what's within you. It develops you. And so there's a good thing for work. Praise God. And so here, what I want to share is that, so we, we spend a lot of time earning this money. And so we're away from our families for extended of time. Um, you know, we're hoping that this money will help us in our livelihood, uh, give us a pursuit of happiness and things of that sort, or to change our lives in many meaningful ways. But one thing I want to say is that our money has a kingdom mission. And there are two things that are going to last through eternity. And one is God's word and two, the souls of men. And this is what God wants us to have in mind when we look at our money. Is it bringing people to the Lord? Is it something that's going to last through eternity? And that's what we need to be really mindful of. Because a lot of times we get in our own ways and we're just, just thinking about the here and now. We're not really thinking about my money has a mission. If we looked at our money in that sense and say, okay, Lord, what do I do with my money today? 
you know, who can I bless today? If we change our paradigm on the way we think, we'll do things a lot different. But anyway, so God doesn't want us to serve money, but rather for the money to serve us and others. Praise God. God said he is a jealous God and he doesn't want our money to become our God. God knows that money plays a large role in our life because this is what we work for all week long, you know? So it's a part of our lives, but God wants us to know the purpose of it. And this is what we're going to look at. And we're going to go to um, look at tithes and offering. And, um, and if you would turn to Genesis 14, chapter, um, chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. And before we go into there, I just want to um, say how here was Abraham. This was during the time there was a war of Sodom and Gomorrah going on. And Abraham was able to get the spoils from the war. And so Abraham was a wealthy man and God made him rich. And um, and so King Mezedek, Meshelzedek, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High, professor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thy enemies into thy hand. And Abraham gave him tithes of all. Now, this was before um, the law of Moses, where in Exodus, where the people pay tithes. This was even before that, um, that um, Abraham was led to give. So it wasn't because he felt obligated. It wasn't that he was under the law. He did this because he knew where his source came from. And he and I just believe that it was an expression of worship. I believe that he gave So Abraham gave a tie to Melchizedek on the spoils of the goods before there was even any law. Now, if you notice, I said that Abraham gave tithes of all. He didn't give him part. And a tithe is just a tenth. Okay, that's what the tithe is. But he gave a tenth of that to God. And again, it wasn't by obligation, wasn't by duty. And again, I just believe it was just the worship of God. For God, you've been so good to me. This is what I want to do. Because some people say, well, I don't believe in tithes. That was under the law. We're not under the law. And therefore, I don't tithe. Where here I'm showing you a situation where someone gave tithes a tenth before the law was even written. And so um, it would have been easier. Think about this. Here's a wealthy man like Abraham. He didn't have to give God anything, but he chose to. And we have that privilege today. It's not by law or bound. You know, we're not under any bondage or anything to give, but it's a privilege. It's a privilege to give. Praise God. And um, and so today we just need to know. And and, you know, some people say, well, I'm not going to give to the church because I don't know where they're going to use it or 
or spend it or it's not going to be spent wisely. Well, you know, you can check it out. There's um, two places that you can check out for different um, gifts. It's called Evangelistic Council of Financial Accountability. That's one. And then the other one is Charity Navigator. And you can go on those sites and you can check out different organizations that you want to bless and see, are they being accountable to their own vision? You know, are they doing what they're supposed to do? So it's no more excuses about, you know, oh, I can't give. Search it out and, um, and find a place. But anyway, here, some years later, we know that in the Bible that God talks about the law of tithes or, you know, the Moses, when Moses um, made the tithes of, you know, the give tithes. Hallelujah. Let's go to uh, Numbers 18, 21. And here this is talking about there are 12 tribes of Israel. And we know Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons. And when we talk about the children of Israel, we're talking about Jacob's 12 sons. And here God had, it was um, said that the 11 of the 12 tribes, they had to give their tithe to the Levi, the tribe of Levi. And Levi represent the priests, the household of faith. They were in charge of making atonement uh, for the people when they sinned. They would, you know, the uh, people would have to bring a ram or a lamb or something as a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to the Levites, and the Levites would pray over them and uh, to consider them holy and things of that sort. So anyway, here the Levi were in charge of everything that was in the church. They were in charge of the curtains, the furniture, everything, the running of the church and the sanctification of it. And, um, and so they had a special role. But all the other tribes, the 11 sons or the 11 tribes and their ancestors, they were inherited land. So they were able to work and to till and to toll. And so what God said for them, that whatever their increase was, their first increase, they had to pay tithes and give it to the Levi. Because the Levi didn't, even though they had houses and land and things of that sort, they did not own anything. It wasn't for their um, inheritance. God says, I am your inheritance. I will take care of you. So in essence, so when we read Numbers 18, 21, it says, and behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel. So all the tithe for an inheritance for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle and the congregation. And so the Levi, they ran, like I said, the operations of the church. And so this is what they receive. Now, once they receive their tithes and offering from the 11 tribes, then they gave their tithes to Aaron and to his sons. Now, Aaron, which was Moses' brother and his sons, they were of the priests. They were of the household of Levi. And so here, the Levites gave it to the priests. So it's like we're bringing our tithes and offering to the church and then the church give a portion of the 10th to pastor, you know? And so that's how it was set up. Now let's go to Malachi 3 verses 8 to 12. Because I want to show you how all of this matters to God. Money matters to God. Now Malachi 3 
verses 8 to 12. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offering. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall be shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, said the Lord of hosts. So just to paraphrase, all it says is that God is saying, you are robbing me when you're not bringing in your tithes and offering to the church. When you do this, you are cursed. So bring all of your tithes, the tenth, and I will open up heaven and pour you out a great blessing that you will not be able to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer from you and bless you. In essence, God is saying, take care of my house and I'll take care of your house because the tithes belong to me, not to you. And so here we're talking about in verse 10, he's saying the window of heaven will be open up to us. So that means we're talking about a floodgate a floodgate from heaven to us. Praise God. And so we just want to make sure that we are paying our tithes because when we're not, it's like we have holes in our pockets. You know, we're like, gosh, what's going on? You know, I got this bill, got this and this and that. But money matters to God and what we do with our tithes, it matters to God. And God realizes that money represents a part of us. And so if we are willing to give up the 10th, the tithe for him, then that means the money does not have us. All right, let's look at Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you know, in the Amplified, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes your desires that on which your life centers will be also. So we have to make sure that our heart is in the right place. Praise God. And, and then it says that, um, remember, God only wants the tithe, the tenth. So when we trust him by giving our tithes, he blesses us and takes care of all of our needs. Praise God. So if we are able to trust him with our substance, then we are able to trust God with everything, including our lives. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I give my life to God, but yet they don't give their money to God. So in essence, they're not giving their whole being to God. Praise God. And this is why money matters to God. Money matters to God, but we matter more to God than money. Okay. So unfortunately, you know, tithing is not a practice of every Christian family. Tithing pleases God. It is saying, thank you, Lord, for sharing your blessings with me. 
Praise God. Let's go to Psalms 116 and 12. And it says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? You know, it's just, it's not enough. I mean, you know, to give God 10 is, is, is nothing. I mean, you know, I'm not discrediting it, but I'm just saying that our heart should be able to do more. And that's why he says tithes and offerings. If you just stop there at the 10th, you know, you're still robbing God. You know, he wants us to give tithes and offering. Praise God. And the offering is just letting him know how much you love him, how much you care beyond the 10th. Okay, so I'm going to share a little bit about um, David from the book. He remembered um, someone coming to his home when he was a little boy, and he remembered someone bringing his mom a bag of of food, um, potatoes, corn, and things of that sort. And he remembered after the person left the house, his mother immediately looked at everything, and she got the market value for everything that was given to her. And she paid tithes to the church as a result of that because she didn't, you know, it wasn't like the money was given to her, but she was given food and it had a price. And she just taught her son that whatever came in the house, we're going to bless God. We're going to give God his. So you may think, okay, how do I do that? But so he often, he would hear his dad. His dad would always tell him that 90 is greater than 100. And, you know, as a child, he was looking and he was thinking, how in the world is 90 greater than 100? And so his dad went on to say that 90% with God is more than 100% without him. And, you know, and so we have to think about that. Sometimes we think, okay, this bill came up or this situation came up. God, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. Because I'm telling you, that 100% would be like holes in your pocket if you use it for anything but to God. So just be mindful. And again, uh, if we look at Proverbs 3 and 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thy increase. And so David, now he's a billionaire, and he's like, okay, Lord, he always tied. And he tied on his business. And, you know, Jerome and I, we had an opportunity early on in our business. We were around many millionaires and um, they knew us and we knew them and they were Christians. And they would always share how they would give God, you know, give um, their substance unto God. And, you know, but it's rare in the world system. I mean, generally, you know, you around millionaires or whatever, and they're not thinking of, you know, give a tide off their business, you know? And so here, David, he's given his uh, tide off his business. And not only that, he gives 50% of the earnings that come in from Hobby Lobby to missions. And, and so his peers were asking him, so, man, how can you do this? You know, here I'm in the red, you know, how do you how do you do this? You know, and um, and they were looking at him like, oh, you can do this because you're a billionaire. You're in the Forbes magazine and you're doing this. And he was telling them, you know, before I had anything, I did this, you know. So it's never an excuse. Wherever you at, you can do it. Praise God. And um, and, and you have to remember this. His business started in the garage. In his garage, 
in uh, 1970 in Oklahoma. And here he was just doing picture frames. That's all they were doing, just making picture frames. And God took that idea and made it humongous. And you know what he said that growing up, he saw his brothers because he came from a, a Christian family and he saw his family. You know, he thought, well, God, how can I do something for you? You know, because he, he wasn't led to go into the, the mission field or to be an evangelist or a pastor. So he was thinking, OK, does that mean I'm doomed? You know, can I not do anything for you? And so God was letting him know that he had a place. He was a businessman and he can use his occupation to glorify him as well. And so it doesn't matter what field you in. Don't feel like you have to be a pastor or a preacher or evangelist or something to make a difference in the world, wherever you're at, you know? And, um, and like what he often says, it doesn't matter if you're at McDonald's, whatever, flipping those hamburgers, you do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. And that's where your blessing come. Praise God. So it doesn't have to be anything uh, special, but just do what you're called to do. And um, and I'm going to share a couple examples of when his business was attacked, but he kept his faith in God. And I don't know if you remember, but um, in 2012 with the uh, Obamacare, there was a big lawsuit against uh, Hobby Lobby and um, it's called the um, with the Burrell the uh, Burwell versus Hobby Lobby. And what this was, was that the federal government was um, mandating private companies to um, require, um, yeah, it was um, life-threatening drugs that they had to have like insurance and uh, for, to give to their employees. And so these things were contradicting his Christian beliefs. He didn't believe in abortion. He didn't believe in certain things. So he didn't want to have an insurance that will enable his employees to do these things, which was against his, you know, his, his religious beliefs, his convictions. So as a result, he felt like it wasn't fair for the government to pose this on him, you know, and he was private. He wasn't even a public sector. And so anyway, he fought it and he thought he was going to lose everything. And God stepped in and it took a while. So it was September 12th of 2012 when he uh, first was sued and he won in June 2014. And through that, he just saw the hand of God because he submitted it to the Lord. And he said, well, God, this is your business. This is not my business. I tied off this business. I do what you want me to do. Like he said, he let the people um, not work on Sundays because he wanted them to be able to go to the house of worship. He let them, you know, the store close at eight o'clock so that they had that one hour every day from Monday through Saturday, six extra hours a week so they can be with their family. And so he always was in tune with customer service. And then after that happened, Facebook, somebody put something in Facebook and, um, and, and that was um, that almost destroyed his whole business because that went viral and they were condemning him about, you know, how he treats people and versus things like that. And he would just let them talk because he knew it was a lie. It wasn't true because um, in 2009, when the government, when everybody was paying their people minimum wage, 725, 
he was paying his people $10 an hour. And so um, that's why we have to be careful what we hear. You know what I'm saying? But he knew that because his business, that business was not his business. It was God's business that God would take care of him. And in both of those two times since 1990, those were two incidents where he thought the business would be destroyed. But God showed himself faithful and God will show himself faithful to you today. When we put our money in the right line with him, he will be faithful. Praise God. Now, some people may ask, well, do I pay tithes off the gross or do I pay it off the net? Well, how do you want to be blessed off the net or off the gross? You know, Um, think about it. Uncle Sam, he take his. Off the what? Off the top, off the gross. So I would think, do likewise. I remember when Jerome and I first got married, I was tithing since I was 17, uh, since I first started working, 17, 16, and um, 17. And so I always tied off the gross. So when we were getting married, we were talking about it, and Jerome at that time was tithing off the net. And I'm thinking, wait a minute now, this is not going to work. You know, I'm used to tithing right out the time. Don't think about it. And so me and him, you know, we talked about it and it, it didn't take long for him to change over. Hallelujah. But anyway, because um, he, you know, he just was just thinking, hey, you know. So anyway, but long story short, we did that and we never looked back. You know, we've always tied off the gross and God always blesses tremendously. I mean, when the covers look like they're bare, God always provide, always provide over and beyond. And it's and, and sometimes it's just miraculous to me because sometimes in the natural, you know, you, you're looking at your account and it looks like it's negative and you're thinking, OK, Lord. But somehow by the end of the week, you know, God just provided. You think, what happened? Because nothing came in. So, you know, but God did it. And that's what he would do. And, um, and, and, and it's just amazing. So when we can trust God with our money, then he can entrust us with the more valuable things in life. And then also he entrusts us with more money. Because we're trustworthy, praise God. And so now we're going to look at wealth transfer or generational wealth. And you know, Jesus is our example. And this is going to blow many of you away. But Jesus was not poor as what many people think, you know. They look at Jesus being in the manger with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the nativity center. You know, you see wise men. Well, that's not accurate. You know, the wise men came some months later. Um, But anyway, Jesus was rich in spirit and with stuff. And um, and I looked up and you can look this up. It was the uh, power to get wealth dot com. There is a guy named Peter Daniels. He's a billionaire. And what he did He hired a team of historians to do research on um, the myrrh, uh, frankincense, and gold, what Jesus actually received during that time when he was a young toddler, because Jesus was under the age of two by the time the wise men, and these wise men were called Magis, M-A-G-I, where they followed the stars, they were astronomers, and um, they knew that Jesus was going to be born. 
And by the time they came to Jesus, actually it was his parents' house at the time when they came to, it wasn't in the manger. By the time they arrived with these gifts, it was at Jesus, his parents' home. And, um, and you know, a lot of times we think it was just three wise men and we're not sure how many men there were. It could have been a, a team, a fleet, an army, you know, a lot of men. But these men, they traveled for a while to get to Jesus. And so they brought three types of gifts, you know, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. And they didn't just bring a little trisket, you know, and say, I'm giving it to Jesus. I mean, they had treasures of wealth. And so these particular items, they um, evaluated it and they assumed that based on what Jesus received, it was nearly $4 million in our time today, the wealth he received. And so think about that. So let's say if that was so, you remember when um, Mary and Joseph, they had to leave because Jesus' life was at risk when he was a child and they had to go to Egypt. So think about it. That money could have helped them, if that's the case, to go there. And then after King Herod died, they were able to go back into their homeland. So anyway, I'm just saying that that is significant. And even if you didn't count that, look at Jesus when he started his ministry at age 30. He had professional men following him. When he picked out the 12 disciples, they were fishermen, tax collectors. They were various different occupations. He said, leave all and follow me. So when they left their livelihood, guess who took care of them for three years? Jesus. Okay. And not only just the 12, if you look on, he has 70 other people that followed him for three years. So that's 82 men and possibly children, women. And so think about it. You're not poor if you're taking care of 82 people plus. And then on top of that, how many poor people do you know have a treasurer? Jesus had Judas. Judas stole. He must have some money in there, okay? <laughs> so anyway, he was not poor. So anyway, I just want you to think about that because some people may say, well, Donnie's, why do I want to be rich? I'm not saying be rich to hoard. I'm not, I'm not teaching that at all. When By the time I get done with this, you're going to see why our money is important to God because it's about him. It's not about us. And see, that's where we've had it all wrong for so long. We think the more we can can, the more we can stack up is for us. But that's not what it's about at all. The more you have, you should be doing a wondrous work throughout this world. I mean, you should be your money should be impacting the lives of so many people. And when you see this, this thing blessed me as I was reading this book. I mean, I was in tears. I was crying. I was like, Lord, oh, I just desire to be a blessing in this way, you know, because it's a joy to give, you know. And um, and I know Jerome, he always talks about me. He said, well, you just love just giving away money, you know, because he you know, he have other ideas our money. Hallelujah. But anyway, I just want to just write it and write it out. And, um, and God bless, you know, this week I was able to send out to like six different 
you know, organizations. That just so it just blessed me because you know what they're doing with the money. You know what I'm saying? And um, and then after I start listening to what David said, he said, make sure when you give, like if that's your vision, that it affects eternity. You know, God's word and the souls of men. It will last throughout eternity. And so when you think about it, so I was like, okay, Lord. You know, I gave the two, you know, two churches that had youth ministers and young preachers and what have you. And, you know, and then I started thinking about, you know, others was Christian campus, you know, Christian campus um, clubs and things of that sort. And I said, oh, praise God. It is going to people that's going to make a difference, you know, and um, because that's what you want. You just don't want to give it to somebody who's going to gamble it up. You know what I'm saying? Or, or snort it or get high or whatever. You want your money to go on good seed, good ground. Praise God. And so anyway, wealth transfer. And this is so important to God that we want to make sure that what we're doing with our money, that we're teaching our kids. Um, and here we said that we were talking about how good it is to know that your money will be able to go from generation to generation to generation. Praise God. And um, because what we don't want to be, we don't want to be foolish with our money. You know, we don't want to just um, heap it up for ourselves. And we want to be wise with our money. Um, Actually, God wants his children. If you go to the scripture, let's go to... um, Let me read this. Let's read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So this is just uh, a little just stating that um, Jesus was wealthy and that he want us rich, you know, but in the right way. So Proverbs 22 and two, it says the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then if I go to, let's go to Proverbs 10, 22, it says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So, for example, let's say someone gets a car and they say, oh, God bless me with this car. And then two months later is repossessed. That was not a blessing of the Lord. Okay, you did something on your own, something that wasn't right. But that was not a blessing of the Lord because he said he makes rich and addeth no sorrow. Praise God. And if we look at third John two, it says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prosper, your mind, your will, your emotions. God wants all of our being to prosper. And if we look at Deuteronomy 8 and 18, it says, and you should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he sworn to your fathers as it is this day. So it's God who give us power to get wealth. It's not way of our own selves. Um, If we look at Proverbs 13 verses 20 to 22, 
It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Evil pursues sinners, but the righteous good shall be repaid. So a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So God wants his children to leave a financial legacy for their grandchildren. God wants the wealth of his children to be generational. And this is what I want to talk about, how the Bible said that he will allow the wealth of the sinner to be laid up for the just. And the just is us. So the people out in the world, hey, you know, who knows? God can make that money come to us. But more than that, he wants us to leave an inheritance. What are we doing with the money that he bless us with? He wants us to be able to teach our kids and explain to them the purpose of the money and how to use it, how to spend it, how to save it, how to invest it, and to how to pass it along. Again, it's not for us to hoard. It's not for us to keep to ourselves. And you might think, okay, I'm not wealthy. I don't have anything to leave to my kids. Yes, you do. We all have something we can leave to our kids. And this is what we call a legacy plan. You can leave your wisdom, your knowledge, your beliefs, your values, as well as your time and your substance. You teach your kids what's important. So if tithing is important in your household, you teach that to your children. I remember our children, when they was as early as six years old, we taught them that they would have three different departments and they get three little jars. One was for their tithes and offering. The second one was for their savings. And the third one they can spend. So they knew whether it was birthday money, Christmas money, whatever it was. And we didn't do... Uh, allowance. We did commission because just some things you're going to do in our house because you live here. Okay. You're not paying you to make up your bed. You live here, you know, but there are certain things you will get a commission from and commission is based on performance. So if you don't do a great job, you get very little, you know what I'm saying? So that's how we did in our house. So if they had, um, you know, they had a commission and so are their birth and money or Christmas money, they tied off of that. And they gave to the church, gave to God. And then some of it they can save. And then the other, if they want to buy whatever, clothes, candy, toys, whatever, they can. And so we taught them that very young. And to this day, all of them are what, what, oh, what, what are the youngest, 19, 19 to 26. They all still tithe. They give their offering and they save a little bit, you know. I still have access to a few of their accounts and they still say um, and they spend, but it's a mindset. So that's a legacy. That's something you're teaching them. And, um, and if you don't have children, your nieces and nephews. So that's one of the things, the values. And then also teaching them how to give to others. Don't be self-centered. You know, give of yourself, give of your time. And um, because remember, whatever you sow, you will reap. And this is a principle that works for whoever uses it. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You, what you sow, you reap. So if you're sowing um, money into the lives of others, guess what? You're going to reap that in return. Praise God. And so whatever you give is somehow it comes right back to you. 
And that's what um, was so fascinating about this book. You know, David said that he couldn't outgive God. It was like the more he gave, you know, he raised it to 50 percent of his saving. I mean, of the profits of what the um, businesses made. He was able to give to missions and, and different things. And he just seemed like it just keep coming back, coming back. And that's how it is. When you give and when you bless people, I mean, it comes back. You know, God doesn't bless you a dollar for dollar. You give a dollar, dollar, come back. But it's in so many different ways. I mean, you have the joy, you have the peace. It's just, it's unexplainable. I mean, to me, it it's truly is better to give than to receive. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. Praise God. And God wants us to be good stewards. Not only do he want us to teach our kids about finances, but he don't want them to abuse it or misuse it. Praise God. You know, when there's no moral compass or no compassion um, and you just want a desire just to get rich just for the sake of having it, it doesn't last because it's no foresight. It's not generational. You know, it's all about the here and now. But when you start thinking about future, you start thinking about eternity, you know, am I making a difference? You'll be surprised. Your money will go a long way. Praise God. And, you know, um, have you seen so many times where people have left their children an inheritance, you know, and they just wasted it? I mean, they just as soon as they got it, it was like it was gone because no plan, no legacy plan was known. It wasn't communicated. That's why it's important to talk, because sometimes people are hush hush. I don't know. You know, I know my grandfather, he um, he would never say anything about money. You know, he'll just go to the bank and, uh, you know, he, he didn't know how to write. He was illiterate, but he knew how to count and he knew about money. And um, he was very, very private. So if you took him to the bank, like in his elderly years when he wasn't driving, you had to stand way back from the counter. I mean, you know, just him and the the teller, you know, and he would check his, do his signal, you know, his signature. And um, and he would give his receipt and go on back. But he was very private, didn't talk. And a lot of homes are like that where your parents may not have talked to you about money. And then as soon as you got a credit card in college, you just went wild, you know, because you never had anyone to tell you how to rightly spend it or how to plan. And I know that's how it was in my house. In my house, my parents, you know, they lived on the charge card. So it was like, wow, I got five, I got six in college, woo! You know, and just start maxing them out, you know, just foolish. And then when you really need it, you didn't have money to even charge to put on it, you know. So you just have to have wisdom. And that comes from people sharing and talking about what it is and how to properly use it. Praise God. And so um, here, you know, it was really good that um, David, he came up with or organizational or legacy plan. At first, he did like what most most of us do. We um, do a traditional approach where we have a will and a trust. And hopefully, don't raise your hand, but hopefully you all out there got a will or a trust to pass on to somebody. Hallelujah. But if not, you know, you can ask us after church. We'll help you do it or whatever. It's real easy. Um, But anyway, 
Here he had a traditional approach. He wanted to make sure that everything he was making, his billions of dollars, I told you his company is worth $4 billion. He wanted to make sure that his children will get it. So anyway, he talked to a lawyer. He did all the things that he thought was right to do. Afterwards, he didn't have peace. It really bothered him. And he was thinking, now, you know, I got it set up where my kids and my grandkids, they would get my inheritance. And he knew he can trust his kids and children because they had the same values that he did. So he wasn't worried about that. But what he was concerned about after these two generations, what's going to happen? You know, they know my vision, but what's going to happen to my company, my business? Well, later down on the years, is somebody going to decide to sell it? Is somebody going to try, you know, to change the vision, to change the plan? So he didn't have a piece. So what he ended up doing after everybody signed for the, um, the will, and the, like he said, like 12 pages, he called a lawyer, this guy, Bill, who's um, writing with him in this book. And he said, I need to do a new legacy plan. He said, I want to make sure that when I'm gone, centuries and centuries and centuries afterwards, that this is still God's business. I don't want it to be, you know, changed in a way where the money is not used toward charities or the money is not going where I want it. He said, I trust my kids. It's not that I don't trust my kids or my grandkids because they have my heart at heart. However, I just want to make sure in the long run that it's going to fulfill my vision. And so what he did, he had his grandkids and children, they had to undo, sign off on everything that he previously had, they had agreed to. And then they had to get this new will set in place. And in this new one, he laid out the plan so specifically so that whoever take over, whoever's the new CEO, they will continue to have the same thing. So this is what he he put in the document on the first page. It says, number one, to honor God with all that has been entrusted to us. Number two, to protect, preserve, and to grow the value of the green family companies. Number three, to use the assets of green family companies to create, support, and leverage the efforts of Christian ministries. So that's what he put in on there. And then on the second page, how it's supposed to be dispersed, he said, number one, he want 90% to go to Christian ministries. Now he did the flip. You know, we said that you give God the 10 and you keep the 90. He did the flip. He said he want 90% to go to Christian ministries and 10% to go to special needs fund for family members. For example, if they counter some kind of urgent life-threatening disease. So 10% to go to his children, grandchildren, great-grand, great-great-grand, 10%. Now, 10% out of $4 billion is a lot of money still, okay? So he just wanted to make sure that the bulk of the business will go to missions that will go to God. Cause remember his kids going to be taken care of regardless, but he knew that it was more than just the kids. He had 30 plus thousand employees that he wanted to make sure their livelihoods were going to still be taken in consideration and other things. So we have to think about longevity. So what is your plan? 
What is your legacy plan? I encourage you, I challenge you to go home and think about what is it that you want to leave to the next generation? It doesn't matter what tax bracket you are. You don't have to, I mean, we're all wealthy in a sense. We all have wisdom, knowledge, things to pass along. There are some things you learn from your parents or grandparents that you want to teach to your kids or your grandkids. Write it down. Make it plain. It's not all about the money. You know, it's more than that. What legacy do you want to leave down for generation, generation to eternity? Praise God. And I'm almost finished here. And so anyway, that was so important. And it just made me think because I was just thinking about I was telling Jerome that it's my desire for um, our family to have a Robinson Trust Fund or foundation. And I would like to have all my children and their, you know, their spouses along with Jerome and I and to be able to look and see, okay, how much can we give? What can we give? To whom can we give? What is the criteria? And have this go down in history from generation to generation, long after we're gone, and they can be running it and making sure that it's clear where we want the bulk of the money to go to and things like that. And so that's going to happen. So all of our kids not married yet, so we, that's why we pray that they, hallelujah, that they have good mates. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, that's the desire, hallelujah. So finally, kingdom business and advancement. Earlier, I said that God's word and the souls of men were the only thing that lasts through eternity. That's why it's so important what we do with our money. Because God doesn't want us to think of just the here and now. He wants us to think on um, eternity. And so I'm more conscious than ever before on where I sold my money, where I give it to. And actually, it's not my money. It's his money. Praise God. But it's to promote the gospel of Christ all over the world. And we know it's expensive. Radio, television, satellite to promote the gospel. And this is what takes money. And that's why God is interested in money to promote the kingdom of God, because we need this money to go all over the world. And where you can't go, maybe somebody else can. Praise God. You know, like right now, my daughter, she's on a mission trip. This is the first day of their uh, spring break. And um, she's in um, Dearborn, Michigan. And the whole mission is for Muslims. That's the largest population in the United States, Dearborn, Michigan. And it's a whole community of Muslims that don't know Jesus. And so right now for this next week, and so do pray for her. There, She's going down there to minister. And her heart is so tender. She's 19 years old. And to see the love of God on her, that she wants to make a life a difference. Now here she's using her time her ability. So it's not always money. You know, sometimes we can go some places. It may be in our neighborhood, just talking to our neighbors next door, showing the love of Christ, you know? So just be conscious of, of, of just your surroundings. Praise God. Um, God wants us to bring Jesus to a hurting world, whether it's to the hospitals, the prisons, uh, the marketplace, the nursing homes, the mental institutions, the streets, the government, the entertainment world, the sports industry, wherever you're at, make a difference. Praise God. 
It matters to God what we do. And it says, the reason money matters to God, because he wants us to prosper and to trust him with all of our being and with our first fruits, that tenth of all of our belongings. This is to take care of his house and he will take care of our house. He wants us to leave an inheritance to our grandchildren and to teach our children to be good stewards of money. Money has a kingdom mission to make Jesus known to all of humanity and to offer deliverance to a hurting world. We don't hope in in wealth. We hope in God. And God is our source. So when we give it all away, he gives it all right back to us. We want to live, leave a legacy that is seen and unseen. We want our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to know we gave our money, our time, and our resources for the glory of God. And if we can end with um, the scripture, it says, um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, it says, Command who are all rich in this present world not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold on to eternal life. And then Psalms 105 says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever His faithfulness continues through all generations. So here, I'm leaving you these takeaways. Number, These are some of the things I want you to take away, hopefully today, that we're not owners of anything. God owns everything. God wants us to be good stewards of everything that he puts into our hands. We all have wealth whether it's our intellectual capital, our social capital, emotional capital, or our financial capital. Stewardship produces responsibility. As stewards, we need to be found faithful. The great joy of stewardship is generosity, giving it all away, that we can get it all back again in the form of joy. Everybody wants to enjoy heaven when they die, but they don't want to be heavenly minded while they live. And that's Moody, the evangelist. He said that. And finally, in Ecclesiastics, whatever your hands find to do, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord because you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So we, um, We just say we give everything that we have out of a heart to the Lord. Praise God, because it's better to give. And it's an attitude, a posture that he wants us to have, that all this is his. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just pray that um, hearts have been changed and they see money different, Lord. They see how it could be a blessing unto you, dear God, how it can make a difference into your kingdom, Lord. They bring people to know Christ, um, to 
Help those, dear God. And Lord, we just pray that whatever you give us to do, that we'll be obedient unto you, dear God, and that we will give you what is rightfully yours, your tenth, dear God, that we can live off the 90, dear God. And Lord, we just thank you and we praise you and we honor you, Lord. And this we ask in your holy son, Jesus name. Amen. I trust you are blessed by this broadcast. I would like to hear from you. You can send your praise report or your prayer request to It's About Him Ministries at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you would like to partner with this ministry, you can send your contributions to It's About Him Ministries at gmail.com by way of PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App. Remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him, Jesus. We've been coming to look at you, but it's about Jesus.